Hey, uh, so if we haven't met, my name is Matt. If you're watching online, thrilled that you are watching online. If you're here in the parking lot in your car, it's just thrilled that you are here. And uh, man, I think that God has something really huge and important for every one of us this morning. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you uh, just for the cool of the morning. And uh, God, I pray that as we look into your word, that you would speak to us, that we would hear what you have for us this morning. Lord, let us be attentive. Would you be the loudest voice this morning in our ears, in our hearts, in our spirits? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, before I get into the message, I do want to say this. I've noticed that church outside has become bring your dog to church Sunday, which I'm fine with that, right? But I will say this, like sometimes we have babies that cry in church and like, oh, that's cute. And I try to overlook it. If your dog starts barking, I'm going to point you out and just, it's going to be ugly, okay? And I, I would also like to say, if you even bring your cat to church, you're at the wrong church, okay? Just, there's a lot of other churches who'd like to have cat people that's in one of them. I'm just kidding. God loves cat people too, I think. Um, so uh, when I was about 10 years old, uh, I was up at our cottage in Michigan. So my grandparents had a cottage and then they passed it down to my mom and dad. And so I can remember being there and I was 10 years old and it's on this lake and we have a boat, which we called the little boat. It was basically this very small kind of rowboat. And then on the back, there was a four and a half uh, horsepower engine on the back. And when I was 10 years old, I wanted to drive this thing like nobody's business. I really wanted to do it. And so my dad took me out and he taught me, you know, how to maneuver it and how to kind of see where the landscape was and all that kind of stuff. And he let me do it. And I really wanted to take it out by myself. But my dad would not let me. He said, you're just too young. Um, and he was kind of looking for a bit of a scapegoat or a reason to not let me do it. And so he said, when you can start the engine, then you can take the little boat out around the lake. I'm like, okay. And I mean, I would pull with all my might and I couldn't get that thing started. But a couple of days later, my brother, my older brother, uh, come and he's been out on the lake with the little boat, this little fishing or this little rowboat. He gets back to the dock and I go out there and I, in my 10 year old body, I pull as hard as I possibly can. I just yank that thing for everything that I'm worth. And it actually starts up because it's been piping hot already because my brother like got out of the boat like a minute beforehand. And so I don't tell anybody, I unhook it from the dock. I go over the neighbor's dock and I pick up Rusty. He's six, not a good idea. Um, and so we head out to what we call the big end of the lake. And so the lake that we have our cottage on, there's a small end and then there's an island that kind of separates the two sides. And then there's a big side of the lake up there. Um, and so we go heading up towards the, uh, the big side of the lake. And the wind comes from the big side of the lake. So on our side, there was it was pretty calm. But as we get to the big side of the lake, the waves are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, and there, and like, I, again, I was 10, I'm in the little rowboat, uh, but they felt like they were 50 foot waves. They were probably like one foot waves or six inch waves, but we begin to go and we're both really light. So we're going into the waves going boom, boom. And it, and there, and it feels like it's just this rocking the boat. And at this point I have realized I have made a terrible decision. Like nobody knows that I'm gone. 
The waves are huge. At least they seem huge in this little boat. And I'm afraid that if I turn the boat around, the waves are going to come over the side. and I don't know what to do. So finally, I just go for it and I turn the boat around and we get back. And you would probably guess we arrived to a dock full of people who are not very happy with us. But I tell you that story because I think about when we were going against those waves. And the waves, like I said, they're only like probably one foot waves. They were not these huge waves. But we're in this little boat. And it just feels like we are absolutely getting rocked by these waves, just bang, 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 because our boat is so small. Now, if we had been in a regular sized boat, a, a water ski boat or a float boat or just kind of any regular sized boat, we would have been fine on these waves. They were just lapped against the side and maybe a little bit of rocking, but it would not have thrown us around. And here's why I share that story, is that the bigger the boat, the less impact that the waves have on the boat. And the same is true about our faith. That if we have a very small faith, then the littlest thing is going to rock our world. But if we have a bigger faith, then the waves that come are not gonna rock us nearly as much. And so it's this idea that in the same way that a bigger boat can survive bigger waves, a bigger faith can survive and thrive in the difficulties of the world that we face. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. If you're just joining us for the first time at River Ridge this morning or the first time in a few weeks, we're doing this fall challenge, which we call Persevere. And basically what it is, we're talking about how do we persevere in this difficult time? If you're not familiar with it all, you can go to riverridge.org slash persevere and all the details are there. But as part of it, we're learning how do we run the race that God has for us with perseverance? How do we run it in a way that honors who God is? And so what we're doing to start this series is we're looking at the book of 1 Peter. And the book of 1 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter, and it was written to a group of people who were scattered. These were Christians that lived initially in Jerusalem, but then they were scattered because of persecution. And so they're living in a place that's not familiar to themselves. They're living in a place that they don't really want to be. And so we began last week talking about that's a lot like us, that we're living in this era of COVID that we don't really want to be living in. Uh, and last week we talked about how do we live where we in a place that we don't want to be. And part of that also is how do we live on earth when our real home is in heaven? So we talked about that last week. But this morning, as we look into chapter two, we're gonna continue that theme of how do we grow our faith? So if you have your Bible, we're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter two. 1 Peter chapter two. And I'm gonna go ahead and read the three verses we're gonna talk about. It says this. So put away all malice, and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in your salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so the, the phrase that we're gonna really capture on in this verse is grow up in your salvation. So that doesn't mean that we grow and then we have our salvation, that we have salvation at the moment that we place our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. But it doesn't stop at that point. At that point, we begin to grow in spiritual maturity. And we're gonna talk about what does that look like this morning. Um, 
But before I do that, I want to, uh, there's a game that, that I've sometimes played. Maybe you've played this. It's an icebreaker game, and it's called Two Truths and a Lie. Anybody ever done that game, Two Truths and a Lie? Okay, a few of you. But the way this game works is that when you're meeting a group of people, maybe you're an office thing or a small group thing or a team thing, whatever it is, uh, but you share two things that are true and one thing that's a lie, uh, and then the people try and figure out which one is true and which one is a lie. So we'll just play this for a minute with me. So here's my two truths and a lie. Um, I played varsity tennis in high school. I played varsity soccer in high school, and I was on the varsity cheerleading team, right? So you go, okay, which one of those is true? How many think, how many think, which one's the lie? How many think the tennis is the lie? Okay, nobody, because I talk about tennis. How many of you think the soccer is the lie? couple of you. How many of you think the cheerleading is the lie? Well, yeah, that's the obvious lie, but in fact, that's true. So I did not play varsity soccer. I got cut uh, after my sophomore year, uh, but I was on the varsity cheerleading team. We didn't do flips or anything. We just sort of held megaphones and wore really cool rugby shirts from the 80s, which was awesome. I wish I still had it. Um, but that game, kind of, you kind of say, okay, here's truth and here's the lie. Well, I share that because I want to talk about spiritual growth for just a moment, and I want to share with you two myths and then two truths. Okay, here's the first myth. Is spiritual growth just happens over time. That's the myth. Like spiritual growth, it just happens over time. If I just show up to church, then spiritual growth will just happen. I was talking to Dylan um, earlier this week. Dylan Frex, he's our student ministry guy. He also controls the video stuff, so he may cut this off if he doesn't like what I say. Um, but... So I was talking to Dylan, and he said, you may have noticed, Matt, that I've been taken off early on Wednesdays. I'm like, that's, that's fine. What, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm doing this thing to secure my financial future. And I'm like, Dylan, that's a great idea because you drink a lot of expensive coffee, and we don't pay you a whole lot of money. So you should probably think about your financial future and securing that. I said, well, what are you doing, Dylan? And he said, well, every uh, Wednesday afternoon, I go down to Laidley Tower. And if you're not familiar with Laidley Tower, that's where all the stockbrokers um, work in the top of Laidley Tower. He said, I go down to Laidley Tower and I sit in the lobby. I'm like, all right. And then do you like talk to the stockbrokers and get tips as they're going up? He goes, no, no. I just kind of watch the people go in and out. I said, well, have you invested any money in the stock market and tips that, you know, things you see on the screens around? He goes, no, I, I just sit in the lobby for about two hours and just watch people go in and out. And I'm like, Dylan, that's how you're going to secure your financial future? And he goes, yeah, because I'm just around all these people who are money people. Okay, none of that is true other than Dylan likes fancy, expensive coffee. I just want to throw him under the bus for fun. But you realize the ludicrousness of that plan to secure your financial future. But the same is true when it comes to spiritual growth. If we just show up for an hour on a Sunday morning, that doesn't lead to spiritual growth. That is not spiritual growth, just showing up. Here's the second myth. Spiritual growth is measured by how much we know. Spiritual growth is not measured by how much we know. But sometimes we think like, man, he knows all the books of the Bible in a row. And that person, like, she sounds really spiritual when she talks about things. And we kind of have these knowledge things. But the fact is that spiritual growth is not the same thing. It's not measured in how much we know. There's a verse, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 8, that says this. It says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. That spiritual growth, spiritual maturity isn't measured in knowledge, it's measured in love. Takes us to the first of the two truths about spiritual growth. First is this, is spiritual growth is a result of our daily decisions. It's a result of our daily decisions. I talked about a, a fellow, gosh, it's probably been three, four, five months, um, but a guy named William Borden, and his, his life really stuck out to me. He was a guy that went to be a missionary. He's part of the Borden milk family, uh, but he left that to go be a missionary. And his mantra for life was this, is say yes to Jesus every time. He didn't come to this point and makes this huge decision to go overseas, but every day he made decisions to say yes to Jesus. And then here's the second truth about spiritual growth is it's measured more by actions than by beliefs. It's measured more by actions than by beliefs. In James chapter one, <clears throat> it says this. Um, it says, but be doers of the word <clears throat> and not hearers only and so deceive yourselves. And then a little bit later, it talks about, it says, even the demons believe and shudder. So obviously a demon isn't a follower of Jesus. They believe, they, they, they know the facts, but it's not about what you believe. Yes, you need to believe the right things, the things that God says, but then it's about what do we do with that in terms of our daily actions. So those are a couple of myths and, myths and truths about spiritual growth. But it leads us to this bottom line for this morning. And if you, if you forget everything else, remember this, and it kind of all flows together. It's this, is that you are responsible for your spiritual growth. You are responsible for your spiritual growth. If you're writing this down, write it in the eye. Say, I am responsible for my spiritual growth. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your parents. It's not me. That you are responsible for your spiritual growth. And so then the question is, well, what does that look like? How do I take responsibility? I say, I'm, I'm on board with that. I want to have a bigger faith. I want to have a faith that's not rocked by the little waves of life. I want to have a big, mature faith. But what does that look like? How do I get there? And so we're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to walk through these three verses in James and take a deep look at how we get there. So it begins this way. It says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So here's the first thing, is owning my spiritual growth or owning my spiritual maturity means saying no to sin. It means that we say no to sin. And in this passage, Peter writes, he gives us five sins. He says, put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And what's interesting, and I'm not going to go through all five of these, but what's interesting is every one of these sins is a sin against somebody else. None of these sins are directly sins against God. They're all sins. They're ways that we hurt or injure our relationships with other people. And so Peter is saying, if you want spiritual maturity, if you want to grow, then say no to sin and especially examine the way that you treat other people, the words that you say, the actions, the attitudes that you have towards other people, and to be ruthless about that, to examine your own life and say, do I have sin in my life? Because sin keeps us from spiritual growth. We talked about this the very first week, two weeks ago, in the book of Hebrews, it says, the sin that so easily entangles us, it keeps us from where God wants us 
to be. I want to read you another verse that goes along with this. This is 1 John chapter 4. It says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That we can't have malice or envy or jealousy or hypocrisy towards somebody else and still say, but I love God. And that goes for all kinds of different people, not just the people that are like us, but the people who are different from us as well. Then he continues on in verse two. It says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in your salvation. It says, long for pure spiritual milk. I can remember when my kids were real little, like infants, and I would say to be gone. And so I'd have to make them a bottle in order to feed them with the formula and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of forget how to do that. But there are parts of it that I remember. I can remember like trying to make sure it's just right because you can't use tap water. You have to boil it, I think. And then you have to make sure it's the right temperature. You don't scold them. You put it in your arm and all that kind of stuff. But what I remember most about feeding my infant kids is when I would finally get the bottle ready, and I'd hold in my arms and I'd put the bottle in their mouth and they would all make this slurping sound like <laughs> as they sucked up the milk. And they absolutely craved it, probably because it took me 20 minutes to get the thing right. But they all absolutely craved to drink that milk. And you see what this is telling us, and that was, that was just for me, that wasn't pure spiritual milk, so to speak. But what this tells us is it says like newborn infants long or crave for pure spiritual milk. And so owning my spiritual growth, you owning your spiritual growth, means that you have a craving for God's word. You have a craving for God's truth. That's what it means to crave spiritual milk, that we crave, we long for God's truth to be in and a part of our lives. But here's the thing about that, and this is kind of a, a difficult thing sometimes. And this is, and if you're new to River Church, one of the things that we are around here is, if nothing else, we're honest with each other. And the fact is, I know that some of you who are listening, you're going, I don't crave God's word. You go, I kind of get bored by God's word. I kind of like it sometimes, and I don't other times. What do you do? And again, just being honest, what do you do? If you don't crave God's word, if you don't long to read and listen to and hear and apply God's word. And, and the truth is like, I'm kind of up and down. There's some times where I'm really excited to hear from God. And there's other times that I'm more excited to hit the snooze button and sleep a little more or read the morning paper. What do you do when you don't crave God's word? And here's what I would say. I think the first thing is just to be honest with yourself. And to be honest with God and to kind of confess that, say, God, I want to crave your word. I want to crave truth, but I don't. And just confess that. And then the second part is to pray. To say, God, would you change my heart? Would you change my mind? Would you change me from the inside out so that I would have a desire that I would crave your word, that I would crave your truth? And the third is this, is even though you don't crave God's word, is to read it 
and hear it anyway. And the next point sort of talks to that, and how, here's how we kind of tie these together. The last verse says this. It's very short. It says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So it's saying, do these things. Put away malice. Crave God's word. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And really the if clause should probably come at the beginning. It says, if you have tasted that God's word, if you have tasted that God is good, then flee from sin. If you've tasted that the word of God is good, then crave spiritual milk. And so here's the last point for us, and it's this. Is owning my spiritual growth means experiencing God's way is good. Experiencing that God's way is good. You see, here's how this is connected. And I want, I want to tie this together for a minute. Is that when you, if you're in that camp, you're going, I don't really crave God's word. And then you say, well, I'm just going to admit that to God and to myself, maybe to somebody else. And I'm going to pray that God would change my heart on this. But then the other is to read it anyway, because here's what will happen is you will experience the goodness of God. You will read the gospels and you'll say, man, that's who Jesus was. I want more of him. And you'll read some of the letters. You'll read the book of Proverbs and you say, there's so much wisdom in how to live life. And I want more of that because God is good in how he says to live life. Or you'll read the book of Psalms and you'll say, man, God is amazing. He's beautiful. His majesty, his care, his love, his loving kindness, his patience. And you say, I want more of that. And you see God's goodness and then you want more of it. I'll give you a kind of an analogy to help us to see this. Many of you guys know um, that I coach the tennis team at University of Charleston. And one of the things we've started in the last couple years um, is that at the beginning of the semester, we do a fitness test. So we test them on about, I don't know, seven or eight different things. Um, and then over the course of the semester, we do cardio, we do weights, we do footwork and all that kind of stuff. And then at the end of the semester, before they go home for Christmas break, we do those same tests again, right? <clears throat> and what happens is over the course of the semester, every one of these players improves from beginning to end. Now, not a lot of people love conditioning and weights and all that and cardio kind of stuff, but what happens is they see that the cardio and the fitness and the conditioning that we do, that it's good, that it leads from growth of I can run this and this time, or I can do a wall sit, or I can do a plank, and it takes for this long, and then they do this, they do the conditioning, and then they see the improvement. And that's the same thing that we see here, is that when we say, okay, I'm gonna read God's word and then I'm gonna see God's goodness and I'm gonna grow and that's gonna make me grow and I'm gonna get to the end. I'm gonna go, wow, I have grown. I have a bigger faith. I'm able to survive the storms and the waves of life better than I was before. And it becomes this cycle of, if this is the result of reading God's word and a bigger faith that I wanna read it and apply it more and it ends up being this cycle. And that's what we're after because no one knows better than you what your next step is. That you are responsible for your spiritual growth. So what's the next step for you? You know it much better than I do. And the Holy Spirit is probably speaking to you and telling you what that is. Because I'll tell you this, spiritual maturity is what every one of us longs for and desires. And I'll finish with this illustration. Have you ever seen a little kid 
four, five, six-year-old kid try and put on a jacket and get frustrated, right? They try and put the jacket on and the zipper doesn't work or they can't get their arm in and they put the head in the wrong hole and they get all flustered, right? And what do they do? They blame, I hate zippers, I hate jackets, it's your fault. Why'd you buy me the blue jacket? I, you know, I mean, you've seen kids do that and they get all flustered about life, right? Nobody wants to live like that. But you as an adult, when you put on a jacket, if you get a little stuck with the armhole or there's something in the arm sleeve or the zipper doesn't quite work, what do you do? You, you figure it out. You approach it with patience. You zip it up. You say, oh, the zipper's broken. You don't cry and whine and blame somebody else. And the same is true about our faith. That if we will take seriously the owning of our faith and our own spiritual growth and maturity, then we will have this kind of growth. And we will love and enjoy life so much more because we are mature and growing in our faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these truths. And I pray that you would help us to follow you. Help us to become who you want us to be. Help us to take that next step to grow our faith. Because we want to be as close to you as we possibly can. We want to have a big faith that isn't rocked by every little wave that comes along in life. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, thanks for being here. Next week, 11 o'clock. And before you go, turn around and socially distance and say hello. Maybe meet someone that you don't know yet. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next Sunday at 11 o'clock.